Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Echale Podcast. My name is Jose Quintero, and I'm very excited for today's guest because she's a Latina entrepreneur that is literally doing the Lord's work, and she's helping out her community, and I would love to say that she is helping me out. So today's episode, I'm really going to be very thankful uh, with her. But she is the founder of Latina Podcasters Network and recently Latino Pods Network, which I'm a part of. She's also a sister of Sigma Lambda Gamma International Sorority. I was going to say fraternity because my fraternity, uh, we, we have some history. But ladies and gentlemen, welcome Rita Bautista. Hi, Jose. Thank you so much for having me here. No, thank you so much for for finally allowing me to interview you because let's go ahead and talk about how we met because you interviewed me first. Yeah. This was um, during the pandemic. Yeah, it was. Um, so I got a chance to start Latina Podcasters, which is a, a podcast network for, um, for Latinas, right, in the U.S. And um, – during the pandemic, everybody was going live with everyone and we were having such rich conversations about culture and about identity and belonging. And I remember reaching out to you and at the time, Caesar, because you guys were doing Salud podcast. And we had probably one of the most viewed um, lives that we had on the platform or on our Instagram page um, talking about, you know, topics that are related to the Latino male and you know, from a, a woman interviewing you guys, it was so interesting. I mean, we had so much feedback afterwards about it because, you know, so many times I think we have, uh, we believe that our story is super important, but there's also stories of others as well that impact um, the bigger community, right? So I thought it was really beautiful that we had a chance to, and it kind of almost like foreshadowed what was going to happen, right? Like, the fact that there was so much attention to male voices and there wasn't really a space at the time either for as a as a network uh, for Latinos, the, the male voices to be highlighted. So um, I thought it was really, really cool and awesome that you brought that up. I completely uh, forget sometimes just how it feels like it was so long ago, but it was only like two or three years ago. Um, so, yeah. It's always good to yeah. see those like mile markers. <laughs> I know we've come a long way since then. I remember when you reached out to Caesar and I, we were like, all right, let's do this. We'd love to, you know, we just had started Salud podcast at the time. We were going through a pandemic. We had nothing else to do but use our voices to try to do some change for good. And we've continued through different paths to do that and continue to do that. I through Echale podcast and him through his uh, tax services. But I, later down the line found out a bigger connection that we all had. So I'm a member of Sigma Lambda Beta International Fraternity Incorporated. And you're like, I was literally like, you you popped up on my Facebook. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to add friends. And obviously, I think the first thing anybody <laughs> when you go on Facebook or when you go on Instagram, you start stalking the pictures a little bit. 
And then you realize, wait, she's in a Latina sorority. And it just so happens that Sigma Lambda Beta and Sigma Lambda Gamma are, to a certain extent, brother-sister organization. Like, they work hand-in-hand together. And I texted you immediately. I was like, hey, are you part of this organization? And you're like, don't tell me you're a beta. (laughs) I think that's, you know, it's really interesting, though, because... Um, you know, as much as you believe that you're going to, you're going to grow up and we're all going to be adults and, and it's just going to be a completely different thing. Those, those sororities, those relationships that you make during college really are very important and they follow you through. Um, and when I mean those relationships, I mean the ones that are made in a sorority and fraternity, like the bonds that are made, um, in those spaces become so important to your growth as a person, um, and and the experiences that you have during, after, before, it all changes, you know? And so I, I always thought it was very interesting um, to see just the growth of what the, the sorority and the fraternity have been able to do over the last couple of years, because we were really young compared yeah. to any other organizations on campus. And it's like, now more than ever, being able to connect to family in that space um, you know, it becomes a more special bond. You, you, you're willing to do, I, I hate to say it like this, but you're almost willing to do a little bit more or put a little bit more effort just because you also want, like, it's a mutual respect, but a mutual want to succeed and, and see them be successful too. So I think that's, that's always a plus, you know, it felt like it was a good nod from the universe being like, oh, okay. And Latino pods has, you know, Jose is one of the founding members who's also a beta. So it, it, I think it's one of those things where it's like, okay, we're doing the right thing right now. So yeah, it almost gives you kind of like the right to be a little bit more Metiche in that person's life. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, We immediately connected as a family or we just had a little bit more of something to relate to that is just like, oh, okay, well, let me, let me just bug her about this. Like, she's not going to mind. She understands how our organizations are. And I love that you just brought up because I've been thinking about this more recently and especially because just recently uh, we celebrated 37 years in existence and you as an organization and you guys celebrated um, 33 years years, uh, since your guys' inception as a sorority. But I don't know if you recall when you were in uh, in college and when I was in college and I'm speaking for myself, when we went out into the workforce, you knew there was Greek members, but not many Latino Greek members. And now we're starting to see that representation and how that full circle is actually coming back to almost benefit us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Um, so I'm actually in a case, I'm in a case study. I'm, I'm in a program at Stanford university right now called LBAN, um, that is through Stanford's business school. Its main focus is scaling. Um, and one of the case studies for a company that ended up becoming one of the largest IPO companies in Brazil, um, was built off of network, like the power of this person's network and, how he was able to really become very, very strong was through activating his network. Mm -hmm. And I think for probably the last couple of years, SLG and SLB was trying to figure out how that network was going to be empowered or turned on. 
Um, but I think there's enough time and wisdom between the founding and now where we are now starting to see legacy members, you know, which is beautiful when you start to see somebody who uh, they're a member and then their kids also a member. That's how you start to see the power of these things. Sometimes you won't see it immediately, but long ways down the road, the opportunity to retap into this network and reactivate from the inside is where it becomes powerful, right? Because now these kids don't have to work as hard as we did to open doors for themselves. Or, um, you know, for example, my nephew's about to go to college next year in the following year. And for me, I'm like, okay, well, whatever school he goes to, I know that he'll have family there that I can reach out to and say, hey, guys, he's first gen in college. Like, he needs some help. And even if he doesn't join the fraternity or the sorority, there's still people who can he can call while he's on campus. Like, I know that he'll have an extended, um, you know, like guardians kind of thing that watch over them and, and, and also provide buffers, but provide inspiration while you're in the deep, right, in school and like – trying to get this class, but also navigate party life and, and being a responsible adult um, who doesn't have a bedtime scheduled, right? Like, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I think, you know, now more than ever, we're now starting to see the big benefits of the largest sorority in the nation, right? Lar- largest, fastest growing sorority in the nation. Um, and I, I'm interested to see how impactful that's going to look too in the next, like, 10, 15 years to really, truly see, um, you know, how that looks in the landscape. Yeah. And obviously I think when we were in college, we saw the managers, we saw the supervisors, and now we're seeing the CEOs like yourself, you know, somebody that we can look up to somebody that uh, is kind of like, wow, she did it. She comes from my background. She looks like me. So take me back to 2019. What were you doing prior to be deciding to become a CEO? Because so many women, and I want to specifically focus on women, probably having a business idea, whether it be, I don't know, selling this, selling uh, DIY projects, and they're just kind of afraid. What was that leap of faith for you? I mean, it was kind of two things. One was um, I had started a podcast after I got my heart broken. Oh, <laughs> what happens after a heartbreak? Why? <laughs> well, I think sometimes when you're not living out your fullest p- potential, you're putting too much of your energy into another person versus putting it into yourself. Was and it, it a beta? Take... No, no, okay. <laughs> not a beta. <laughs> Okay. The last thing I need is people being like, I broke her heart. Oh, look at this this episode. Rita finally being out. No, uh, no, it was not a beta. Um, but it was somebody that I cared about. Uh, and, you know, we had one of those on and off again, just terrible, never, ever do that again kind of things. But um, but it needed to happen because I think my focus was on the exterior versus on the inside, which was like honing in on who I was and learning more about who I was. And I think what's beautiful about podcasting and what I've actually been able to see firsthand, right, from from multiple people across the board is how healing podcasts can actually be. Yeah. Um, and my podcast served as a catalyst for me to, to see that there was no representation in this space for, um, 
people of color, Latinos, Latinas, the whole entire, this was right before George Floyd happened. So it was, I mean, you're talking about 0.05% of the people in the population that were actually possibly looking into podcasting. It was not what it is now. And it makes me so happy that we're here now because it makes it a lot easier to have these conversations, you know, like about growth and how to grow this network and um, having investor meetings. Now they have the full blown picture of what this looks like. I don't have to like kick down the door. The door's already open for me, you know? So I think that's the beauty of um, just this cultural explosion that we're seeing across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I started the podcast and it would, quickly saw that there was a lack of representation for Latinas. And I, I personally, I think a part of it also I can attribute back to being in a sorority is like when you're in a space of uncharted waters, the first thing you want to look for is community and connection. Wow. Yeah. And so, um, so, which is really interesting because that's what Latinos do period. Like, you know, when they first moved to, to the country they normally tend to populate areas where other Latinos have been before, even if it's like a smaller community or a smaller city, they, you can find them in clusters close together. Like that's the power of a network, right? It's um, we look out for our community and we look out for, for our own. And so I was looking for other Latinas that were podcasting. I didn't find anything. So I started Latina podcasters on Facebook and it was a community and it's still there today. It's just not active, but it was a community that was started and quickly overnight. I had almost a thousand members that joined because there were so many. So it was interesting because statistically everybody was saying, Oh, there are no podcasts created by Latinos. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, they're just not looking because yeah. it's there, you know, like the podcasters are there. You're just not looking for them in the right places. And so, um, so I decided to start a network and then yeah. one network led to, we were getting some ad opportunities and um, with that one network, uh, I had people approaching me for male voices that were like, do you know of any podcasters that are males? And that's when I had you and Rick H and, and then I started like, you know, the, the, the network because I already had the blueprint for what I had done for Latina podcasters and the rest is history. So now we are a global podcast network group. That represents the uh, podcasts that are hosted and created by Latinos for the U.S. audience. Yeah. So in 2019, you started your podcast. Were you employed or were you unemployed? Oh, yeah. No, I was working as a medical sales rep. And it was not, it was fulfilling financially, but it was not fulfilling internally. Was it, and, was it hard to decide, again, that leap of faith? I'm going to take a chance on me and see where this goes. And I'm saying this emotionally, professionally, and especially financially. Yeah, um, I was fired from my job. So okay. I, I decided there was no other option after that. Like I was like, there's this Latina podcasters thing thing that I've already started working with. Like, let's see where we could take it, you know? And so I did that. <laughs> so it was hard. I mean, but the universe forced me to do it. So it was kind of one of those, it was a twofold thing. It was like, the universe was like, if you're not going to believe in yourself, I'm going to force you to believe in yourself. Mm. So 
I mean, sometimes people want it the easy way. I think in my life, I've always, <laughs> I've always learned the hard way. Um, instead of just taking the easy way out of things, I've always just made it so hard for myself. And now, more than ever, I'm like working on finding that balance and making everything a lot easier, um, as opposed to, um, as opposed to learning hard lessons. <laughs> yeah, they always say that the greatest ideas come during a recession or when you are let go of an employment. So you definitely had that fire and you took that leap of faith on yourself. What would you tell the people listening and especially the women? Because right now, so many people are going through layoffs and they're probably feeling, which I'm sure you felt this whole cycle of like, okay, and then wait, why me? Okay, but what's next? You know, uncertainty definitely comes their way. So I look at it as an opportunity, right? I think, like I mentioned earlier, I always learn the hard way. And I am one of those people that I like to learn in in some of the most challenging places. Like I taught myself college algebra it's in seventh grade because I was bored. Oh. You know, like it's, and and I think that, some of the most beautiful things come out of some of the most challenging places. Mm -hmm. um, a recession is, is a recession. If you believe it to be a recession in your mind, if you absorb it and you believe it to be true, then it's going to manifest that way for you. But if you look at it as an opportunity for you to create something on the side potentially, or work on a side hobby as you're looking for a new job placement and really tap into who you are on the inside, you'd be surprised what comes out. You know, like I would have never in a million years predicted that I'd be like, oh, yes, I'm here with the podcast network, you know, like multimedia company that we that we could potentially grow into. Right. Like all of these things were not a possibility for me. There was not something that I was. I didn't have it on a vision board and I was like, oh, this is, I'm going to be CEO mogul of a massive company. You know, like that's, that was not my, um, my vision, but it is now. And I think that that's the most beautiful thing when you allow yourself to embrace hard times instead of running from them. Like what can you learn in this time of challenge or in this time of, difficulty or financial strain, what can you learn while you're waiting? And it's, sometimes it's not like going to take a workshop or whatever. Sometimes it's really just sitting with yourself and saying, what do I really like to do? Yeah. And can I make money from that? And nine times out of 10, you can. If people can sell feet on OnlyFans and become multimillionaires, your idea of whatever it is that you have in your mind, I guarantee you, has has a purpose and a reason to exist in your mind. You just really have to have the will to follow through with it. I have a question. Was there any woman male role model that you probably saw and were like, you know what? In the podcasting world, I want to be like they. Oprah Winfrey. Oh, okay. So you saw a woman of color as... Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's interesting because I was almost certain that maybe in the in the po uh, podcasting world there wasn't a latina or a woman of color that you could look up to so you had to become that for so many latinas um that could also be the, the case right um i do journaling i am actually coming out with my own journal um uh, that i utilize 
um, during the beginning of Latina podcasters to kind of really hone in on what it was, what, what this idea was turning into. And I wrote in the journal every single day what I was going to be making monthly, what I was going to be doing, and that in five years, I would be sitting in front of Oprah telling her my story. Wow. And I think we're like two and a half years <laughs> left. And I'm pretty much on the trajectory. I don't think it's far-fetched, you know, but it also, how do I put this? My mother cleaned houses as a living, as a child is living, for a living, right? And I think like most of people who are listening probably have some sort of connection to either that or some sort of a labor job that they um, know their parent or a family member um, did, right? Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate, but, but there's a benefit to that. One of the benefits that I got from that was that when I was growing up, my friends were millionaires. Wow. You know, you know they were the children of the millionaires that the nannies were watching. Yeah. So there was no distinction between them and myself in that moment, in that space. And so for me, it wasn't a matter of if or when. It wasn't a matter if I could. It was when I would. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and I didn't really know the power of that until now, because, you know, when we talk about an abundance mindset or thinking about like the bigger picture, it's really not hard for me to activate my imagination in those spaces to be able to see something bigger. Now, is it sad that I didn't call out a Latina uh, mogul first? Probably, because if we go into these me mega spaces, right, you have Jennifer Lopez, you have Shakira, you have now, you know, Rihanna, you have Oprah Winfrey, um, Cristina, right, from Univision was probably another one. When we're talking about media and entertainment, people who've made it to a very big space that were also that did the what do they call that? The um, the crossover. Yeah. <laughs> That was such a popular term back in the day, but the crossover, it's um, it's very challenging to find somebody who made it mainstream um, that looked like myself, right? And, and growing up, I associated a lot with the Black culture because um, it was the one that most was most related to who we were in media, even though it didn't actually represent us 100%. There was some sort of familiarity um, in those spaces with the black community. So I think it was also just because it was she was the person that I saw versus saying yeah. uh, somebody else. I don't know. Chris Jenner. You, know? <laughs> uh, you mentioned right now that you grew up around uh, millionaires, your friends. So growing up around millionaires, your mom cleaning houses, was there a sense of be feeling shame? Oh, I had a really weird situation. Well, not with, because most of those kids, they were my mom's friends, the kids that they were watching, right? So it wasn't directly related to my mom per se. But I remember when I was in, in uh, middle school, one time there was a guy who I had a crush on mm. and my mom was cleaning their house. But he was also Jewish and that was a whole thing too. Like they weren't really big on dating outside of their race or, you know, and kids were really mean growing up too. So it was like, I was the different girl with the curly hair who was brown, had a big old nose, you know, so it was just something completely different for them. Now we're in style, you know, but back then it was like, <laughs> yeah. there's no, you know, that wasn't cute. 
yeah, the curves were like, oh, no, 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 no. You got to be. Like, oh, no. Right. And we're like, you got to look like you had half of a an, half of a cracker and drank water for a living, you know. Um, but what was interesting, I remember the only time that I felt embarrassed and when I think I had that that, oh, my mom cleans houses for a living. Mm-hmm. It was that she told me that she cleaned his house. And I was like, wow. Why? She must- oh, yeah. wow. And I was like, why are you doing that? How dare you? You know, like, <laughs> it was like, me traicionastes. And, <laughs> and, and truthfully, you know, obviously it's, she's making ends meet. There's no, like now as an adult, I empathize with her and I'm like, I get it. Right. But back then that wasn't the case. It was more just trying to figure out why we were the, why she had to clean my friend's houses, you know? And, and now I realize I'm like, she was That's trying such a, to provide. Right. She was trying to provide. There was not really much else that she could do at that moment or that she, it was just a means to an end for her at that time. But, you know, I think that was once when I was, that I looked at, that I saw the cultural di- or the, the economic difference. And then you start to notice it when you get older too, right? Like, um, they stop inviting you to certain things yeah. or, you know, and then just naturally you lose touch because you move away or whatever the case may be. But there's, yeah, a, dis- I, uh-huh. there's a huge disconnect when you start growing up and you realize I don't live their lifestyle. Right. Right. Yeah. Because because playing and hanging out, uh, playing dolls is different from the social and the, the the social and cultural norms that come with that type of money. It's yeah. it's so completely different. Growing up with millionaires, and there's a reason that I wanted to ask all about this and your mom uh, working in houses. You start this podcast network in 2019. Would you say now that the company and I'm I'm a fan of not gate gatekeeping? How much has your company grown into in the last two and a half years? Oh in yeah, so I'm. I'm transparent about this because I think it's important for people to know their potential too. Um, in 2019, our revenue was negative $600. Mm. In 2021, our revenue was 25,000. And this year it was, or in 2022, it was 1 million point zero eight. So 1.1 million. In the last two and a half years. And that's just so you who's listening, viewing on YouTube, can kind of put in perspective the first year, the second year might not be the best, but if you keep pushing towards your goal, look at Rita, you were hanging out with millionaires. Now your business has become a million dollar business and it's going to continue to evolve and grow. So full circle, was there something that you got for your mom out of the, that you were like, I'm proud to gift her this, whether it be a necklace, a ring, or just, Hey, this is, this is where I'm at. Um, I'm going to Honduras for her birthday. Wow. Mm. Does and she live in a, uh, Well, you know, she likes to travel there a lot. Um, and she's on a mission trip right now with her church. So I'm really proud of her because she even she's starting to live out her like her full potential. You know, like she's retired. She did very well. Um purchasing property like she wasn't poor she was she wasn't rich at all you know um but i my mother could surroundings huh 
is that a product of her surroundings being surrounded by so many wealthy people you start to probably notice like oh wow he has a house they have a house maybe i should have multiple houses um my mother from before she moved to the states she was like that oh sorry it's okay <laughs> that's louis everybody he's my uh he's the mascot of the networks <laughs> um, yeah, my mom it has a very unique background. So she was born into a circus. So she was an entertainer as a young child. Um, her family had moments of lots of money and they had moments of not so much money. And so I think what was great about that is before she moved to the States, she already had an expans- expanded consciousness of what money and the ability or what money can do for you if you work at it. Um she, I think she still needs to work with her money wounds, but that's just me <laughs> not to call my mother out, but yeah. Um, but what was interesting is like, you know, she was, she always knew how to take a dollar and turn it into 20 if she needed to, you know, like she was always very resourceful. She's not one of those people that's going to walk into Louis Vuitton and spend $2,000 on a purse, but she will spend 20, 40, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars on buying a home that will turn into rental property, right? Like that's her that's her way of giving back to herself and to give back to her kids in the future as well, right? Because for her, she's always like, well, this is yours. I am not that type of person that's like counting inheritance beforehand. That's never been my my jam. But um but she she just I I would I want to say it would be attributed to that, but I truly believe that she just was born with it, you know, like, and I think some people are born with it. Um, yeah. She watched her father at a very young age. She was an entertainer. She understood the industry. These were things that were kind of just already instilled in her, you know, to, to know about money. Um, yeah. I'm not, I still think that she works way too hard at the attainment of it or, or to keep it. Um, but I think that that is part of the migrant mindset, right? You think you have to work super, super, super hard for everything. And the reality of it is, is sometimes you don't, you just have to, you know, you have to kind of be a little bit more expansive in your mindset and see what opportunities are in front of you. Yeah. In your opinion, what are some of the unique challenges that Latinas face when starting and growing a business and how have you overcame these challenges? Oh my God. <laughs> I, I hit it home. You want me to start? I mean, I had access to capital is the first one, right? Okay. Access to capital. Excuse me one second. No worries. <laughs> I think she's going to go ahead and think about her question and she's about to drop some knowledge, ladies and gentlemen. <sighs> yeah, Sorry yeah. about that. Um, Access to capital is the first one. But I also think um, the expansiveness of looking outside of where you are and not drowning in a cup versus, Mm -hmm. you know, asking for help. Mm. And a lot of us have been taught that calladita se ve más bonita. And that's not the truth, because if you're trying to create an idea and make it come to life, you're going to need money. You're going to need it to be founded. You're going to need to grow it. You're going to need to bring on the best talent. You're going to need to build out relationships. And one person alone cannot do that. 
especially mm-hmm. if your idea is really, really big. Um, uh-huh. And you have to trust that dream. Mm-hmm. You know, the wow. whole point of why we came here is this idea of the American dream, right? But how many of us actually believe it? Yeah, that's right? very you- difficult for a lot of us Latinos. But that's the thing, right? Is it that it's difficult or is it that we've allowed ourselves to continue to believe that lie over and over and over and over again? I think for me personally, uh, I mean, up until recently, it was very much like, well, my parents came to this country and they're trying to work uh, as much as they can so they can go back. So maybe eventually, like, we'll go back too and then we'll just live a better, comfortable life in Mexico, but because we never aspired to dream big. Now that you've helped allow me to start a business, now I'm starting to see different avenues of revenue. And I'm like, wait, I can do, I can make it here and live there and live here. Ser de allá y ser de aquí. Like I could do it. I know I can. And that's what I'm yeah. striving for. So I think it's definitely the the belief. What would you say to those people who are struggling in their business or to those Latinos, Latinas who are struggling in their business? I know it's hard. Trust me. I've cried tears of blood, of sweat, of, of everything, of my soul sometimes. But I think that is literally why this company continues to be successful. And even in the moments when things get hard, it's when people arrive and are like, let's invest, let's, let's find a solution to this because you've brought it so far, right? There's ways, there's ways out of it. And I think I would, my biggest thing would be like, yes, it sucks. And sometimes it gets really, really hard. But what I would challenge you to think of is, are you thinking too insular? Are you legitimately drowning in a cup? Or are there other solutions out there that can help you expand and grow bigger? Sometimes it takes removing the cancerous person from from a company or it takes downsizing or it takes actually having to put the sweat equity back into the company even when you don't think that you need to, right? Like, you know, I saw something the other day that the CEO of Uber finally got in Uber and wa- and drove around and he, after X amount of years, right? And and I And there was people, I saw this negative comments from people and I can always tell when it's like, this is an entrepreneur and this is just the person who's commenting just to comment because they don't understand the structures. Right. But the CEO of Uber disguised himself and wrote and drove around in San Francisco for like a few months. And if the CEO of Uber is going and actually doing the groundwork to have true understandings of the structure of the company, you should be able to do the same thing. And sometimes it's ego or pride that gets in our way, especially if we're at a certain level and we're like, oh my God, we got here. And it goes, and, and you don't think that you should, you know, get back into the nitty gritty. And yeah, sometimes it takes for that to happen. There are actually levels to this that, that show you like there's, um, and in this L-Band business course, right? They're showing us like the, the, the levels of entrepreneurship and the levels of a CEO and how their thinking expands and how the business expands. But when they get to the top level, they have to go back to the beginning again to start thinking like an innovator all over again. Like, like you're starting this company from scratch 
And why is that? It's because we're cyclical. Humans are cyclical. The way that we do things, we, we go in cycles. And sometimes, you know, the next shiny object is what flashed and, and changed the market for you. But this gives you an opportunity to go back into your business and see what you can tweak or what part of it are you missing that you can just move it just a little bit and things will start flowing again, right? Or what can you reinvest into your company? Or is it time for you to revamp? Is it yeah. time for you to look at a new website? Or is it time for you to get a website? Yeah. Is there something uh, aside from money capital that every business should incorporate that probably has helped you? Yeah, like start to, as soon as you can, even if it's with yourself, start applying systems on the inside, right? Mm -hmm. Like start applying a process and stick to your boundaries, stick to your process and know that you're putting these processes in place. They're going to slow you down because that's just what happens, right? Like you can't, I recently, we were moving everybody over, right? To a different platform um, so that we have more accurate numbers. And that way we, we wanted to cut a pain point and cut time and also be able to provide an easier service for our clients that we're bringing in. Um, but in order to do that, we had to implement an entire strategy that took almost three weeks to do just to implement a strategy, right? And, and it was the biggest bane of my existence because there's nothing more that's the worst in the world to tell a CEO is to slow down. Wow. And my team had to do that to me. You know, in some words, sometimes they say it vocally, sometimes they say it in their actions. You know, it's like you you can't expect everyone to go at your speed. Um, but you have to trust that when you're putting these processes in place, um, it's for the better of your company and for the better of the flow so that you're providing a better quality and a better service for people um, on the back end how can you make their lives easier and make your lives easier too? Um, and some, it, it, it sucks. It really does. I'm not going to lie to you because it slows some things down. It speeds other things up. You have people angry at you. You have other people, but the beauty of the life of the CEO is that you have to be able to let it go quickly. Um, yeah. because the good stuff is coming too, right? It's like things happen every day. Like I, I feel like I'm, a <laughs> I wouldn't say I don't want to make light of this because I know that um, bipolarism is an actual disorder and then that some people do struggle with it. But um, I actually think it's a superpower. Um, I think that people who have the ability to go from one extreme to the, ne the next have the ability to get through emotions a little bit faster, even though they're they're very, yeah. very off the wall. Right. Um, I've experienced it firsthand with family members. So um so I understand how damaging it can be, but I also see the beauty in the fact that they can get over things like they never happened. Yeah. And it, the life of a CEO is very similar to that. Like you have to be able to take the highs high um, in two seconds, take a low punch and then keep growing because you know that it's going to happen 400 times in one day and like, okay, fine. And then by the time you close your computer, you potentially have like five minutes to regulate your system before you have to do it all over again. So, so for the past, I, I've known you for a, literally like the past almost two years, I want to say, met mm -hmm. you once. And I know that you've been in several meetings, taking up space, and I've even seen you in action in an in, in unscheduled meeting. 
So with that being said, what do you think needs to change in the business world to better support and uplift Latina entrepreneurs? Yeah, a, a deep question right there. Um, Latinas have to prove themselves four times, mm. I think, every time they go into a meeting. They have to prove their identity, one, right? Like that their identity is important and it exists. On the most basic level, this is the first person that they meet. So this person needs to prove itself. That's the first one, right? And I encourage you not to stop your style. The more we embrace our inner true style, whether it's hoops, red lipstick, or you dress like a nerd, whatever whatever your sense of style is, people need to normalize seeing that more regularly. It has to be mainstream. It has to be bold colors. You have to show up with big earrings. You know, you, you have to show up as you because that part is not going to go away anymore for them. Mm. And the more you try to tone that back and dial it back for somebody, the less you're doing for everybody else. So that's the first part is owning your image. Um, and others being open to being respectful to it, right? We've just had the curly hair culture that is finally being embraced, right? And in the black and brown community that is supporting that. And people are just like in love with curly hair. They forget that like five, 10 years ago, it wasn't seen professional. So we have been flattering the crap out of our natural hair and it doesn't exist in its natural form that it was in anymore because we were trying to fit into a mold that didn't exist necessarily for us. It wasn't created for us. So embrace yourself authentically is the first thing. And then the person on the opposite end, it's embracing them for their authenticity. Mm. Um, the second part is they have to also um, know their stuff to the T because people are going to challenge you. They're going to challenge you every single day, but there is a way to, there is a way to deliver the message without sounding like an absolute arrogant, you know what? Yeah. Um, I can be extremely intelligent, but I also have to know who I'm talking to across from me. And if that person doesn't know what I'm talking about and nine times out of 10, they don't because they don't know the podcast industry. Me going into detail and trying to overprove myself is not necessary for that person because they won't understand anyway. And they're probably not the decision maker. So why waste my energy on a person who doesn't matter? That part. <laughs> yeah. So learning to embrace your energy, right? Like learning to balance the energy that your ex put that you're putting out, because especially if you're going to start your own company or just in general and work too, like sometimes people want you to prove yourself for what we both got the job, relax, go sit down somewhere, stop. Like, we don't need to overdo this, honey. You, like, you don't. Because your intelligence is there. You already proved yourself because you got the job. Do what you're there to do. And sometimes people over-deliver and get underpaid. And those days are are coming to, <laughs> hopefully, I'm hoping inside of my heart that they're coming to an end. Because so many times I worked for so many different companies getting underpaid and over-delivering to the point where I felt like I was giving my soul to these people. Yeah. 
And they don't deserve that. You know, they didn't. I was like killing myself for somebody else that didn't deserve it. They're going to make their money anyway. Like deliver. Yes. Deliver yourself authentically, but don't over deliver to the point where you feel unbalanced. Mm, I love that part. Yeah. What was, uh, I think that was three. What was the fourth? Oh, the fourth one. We're not white. Yeah. If I was a white man walking into a room and I had all the information and I could sell you in three seconds, nine times out of 10 people will be sold. And they're like, oh, why is he getting $5 million? Because he's a white dude. Because you, because you automatically believe that he knew what he was talking about. I mean, you see this in VC still. Only two to 5% of the VC money goes to Latinos or black businesses. What is VC for the people who- Why? Oh, venture capital, venture yeah. capital. So capital for you to basically go and create a business. Um, it's some of that money you don't have to pay back. Some of mm-hmm. it is um, is a loan. Some of it is, you know, you're, you're doing shares. There's there's different ways to build out the company and to um, to to gain investments to be able to really to grow your baby. I'm not supposed to say baby, but <laughs> to grow your company, right? To grow the company. Um, Why aren't you supposed to say baby? Is it because if you ever end up selling, you don't sell a baby? <laughs> that too. Um, okay. Yes, that too. So, um, yeah, it's it's just the way that it's seen. It becomes too motherly. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> Uh, so, but anyway, long story short, um, that, that's a big problem, I think overall, which it's easy for people with, with, with other people's money to build a company that could potentially fail Mm -hmm. because it's not their money. You know, the pressure is on, but the pressure is also off because it's not your, your, you as a person are a protected asset, right? Versus when you go at it, like I use my own capital sweat equity and everything to go into this business because I knew I didn't know, right? Like I just took a chance and I was like, it's going to either work or it won't. And I'm going to put myself into it and, and we'll see. It puts me in a better position now when I'm looking, when I'm having conversations with investors, because I still own a hundred percent of the company which I yeah. didn't know, sometimes it is good to not know, right? Because it puts you, this naive, being naive actually puts me in a power seat right now versus just having an idea, not being able to prove that, you know, that it can be sold. Um, it puts me in a position where these people are like, oh my God, not only did she prove the market, I didn't yeah. know this either. I never, when I tell you, I just had my head down doing the work, Right. You, it's, you've seen me, right? Like, it's like, I just, I, I'm just passionate about what I'm doing. And nine times out of 10, you can find me on my computer doing my work. And it's a lot of work, but, but it's worth it for me. Passionately worth it for me. Yeah. Was one of it- the statistics. Uh-huh. Go ahead. One, of the, Go ahead. one of the statistics that I got from Stanford is that my business is in the top 0. Oh. 1% of Latino businesses in the country to ever make it to a million dollars. Wow. 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 Like, right. And I, all I was doing was trying to get, 
I wanted people to see authenticity. That was it. It wasn't like I had this goal to be a multimillionaire. It was really, no, I wanted people to feel like they were represented by the content that they were seeing. So, you know, now because that happened, now we can really put an engine behind the company because I did the work. Yeah. And so many people are probably like, I want a piece of that cake too. Now and they sure, do. Yeah. 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 They see all the revenue and they're like, um, so how do we become an investor? Uh, I'm sure right. that's probably happened. Was there ever a moment that you finally felt like, oh my God, I proved myself to a man in this space? Like I was in your head, I was like, yeah, take that. Shut up. <laughs> I mean, I think we have a personal conversation, right? Like, <laughs> When oh. we were yeah, that one when we were in the I don't know if I can share that here but um yeah, okay so um Jose and I are working on a project together and I'm really excited about it it's Angelica's podcast with Angelica Valen Angelica Maria um and so it came in because of Jose right like because of the relationships that I built with podcasters with smaller audiences these bigger artists and opportunities are now gravitating towards us right like it's not and we don't have to oversell it. We're just, I'm just honest about the product. And so the owner of the radio station, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he kind of sized me up and he was asking me a lot of questions and, you know, I'm a very young player in this, in this industry, in radio, I wouldn't even call it radio, but in media in general, people don't know my name, but now they do. Now they're starting to find out who I am because I'm coming out from behind the camera or behind the computer after doing the work. Whereas most people tend to build their identity alongside the company. I was literally just building the company, you know? And, um, and so what was interesting is like, he's asking me all these questions about the market, but like grilling me hard and then started asking me about the relationships that I had and why, if I would work with the specific person or if I wouldn't. And I held back on some of the things that he asked me just because I wanted to see what his perspective was first before I responded. And by the time it was done, he handed me his business card and he was like ready to work with me on, you know, wanting me to work with him on other projects. And um, I'm sure to his surprise. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> now, my, to my surprise as well, because I was just in the middle of both of you looking left and right. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's holding her own two feet. This is fucking amazing. And it was just like I just introduced you guys as a hey, it's going to be a hey, bye, two minute introduction. And it became like a 20, 30 minute conversation. Him literally, literally grilling her. Do you really know your shit? And you were just like, let me prove it to you type of stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, I was proud too. <laughs> I I also I also did that just because I knew who he was and why it would it, it would matter in the future when things get bigger, right? Like, um, because I want to protect the talent regardless. Like, my number one thing is always protecting talent and making sure that they have what they need to feel comfortable, even if even if we never monetize. <laughs> Right. Like, and I'm not putting that out there, but what I'm saying is, is like, I want the talent, the podcaster to feel like they're part of the process. Yeah. And, you know, I legitimately can stand behind that. Like I have, 
I've given someone a contract and looked at them and been like, read your contract, like read it, like sit there and read the contract or like legitimately before I hand the contract to the podcasters, we'll even go through the contract with them. Um, like I know most studios won't ever do that. Can I just say how transparent the contract is? Like, cause I read it and it literally has everything to the T very organized and it makes you feel welcomed and safe. Be, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because when we were bringing Angelica to the podcast network, she obviously read the contract, but then she's like, look over it again, uh, like, you know, through my eyes and also her best friend. So there was multiple people looking at it and we were like, what, what are we looking for? She's like, I just want to know where they're going to screw me over. And it, 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 it's such a, it, it's sad to a certain extent because as a woman in this industry, she's had to overcome so many bad deals and so many negotiations where she wasn't valued for her talent and for her work. So she's always, uh, you know, that, that syndrome where you're always like on the lookout, like, oh my God, who's, who's going to get me next? So you're always on the defensive. And I think with your contract and obviously with, with you being a part of it, it was very much a, I mean, I don't want to say it was easy breezy because we still had like until they finally right, right. signed. But once it came to the point where we got the contract in our hands, it was smooth sailing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would hope that that's how the future of media looks. I mean, I also know, right, as I grow, things change. And it's not my intention. It's because the, big, the bigger, there, there are more things that come along with the growth and, and those things need to be protected as well. But my thing is, is like, I don't want people to be on the network and not be happy. Mm. And if that's the case, because all it takes is one bad apple. Right. And, and I know what I've done to create this and, and for the time being, until I don't have that power, like I'm going to do my best to create a good environment for everybody. Like I even set myself up one, I wouldn't even say set myself up, but once a quarter now was, you know, before it used to be once a month, but once a quarter now I set myself up to do a conversation with the podcasters. I give them updates. I legitimately want them to feel like they're part of the process. And if they need to yell at me and if they need to tell me whatever they need to tell me, that's fine. The reason for it is it makes me stronger as a CEO to get direct access to the talent and have them tell me what is working, what is not working. Yeah. That's the only way. I'll, if if I don't do that, a year will go by and people will be angry and then you know, you can only, you can't help people trash talking, right? You can't. <laughs> I, I wish I could, but that's not the case. And I try my best to allow people an avenue for them to tell us their feedback. Do I listen to all of it? No, it's not going to work for, you know, what works for one podcaster isn't going to work for 36. But if it's a common theme, then yeah, of course, like it makes yeah. total sense to take into consideration as we're growing this out, you know, and like, we're looking for partners for distribution so that we can bring bigger audiences for these podcasters. So it's like those things you have to look at um, and say, when we, when we do something like this or when this podcaster gets down to a million downloads, mm. are they even going to be thinking the same? Right. And I would hope that the answer is no, because you are on a different, your, your mindset should be expanding as you're creating and, and the ability to, figure out what that looks like should also be as well. 
Yeah. What message do you hope to share with other Latinas who are considering entrepreneurship and who are are already on their own entrepreneurial journey? Build a group of friendships with people that are doing the same thing as you, but probably better. Like, mm. and don't be afraid to be vulnerable with women in business. Like the more fear that you have about people finding out something is wrong, the worse it gets for you. Like, trust me, I've been on both sides of the fence. And the more I started letting go and letting go and letting go and letting people understand more and this and that, the more, the more strong, the more strength I got as an entrepreneur, the no. more I was able to grow, the more I was able to see, the more opportunities there were that were flowing to us. Um, so yeah, build a network of people that are going to have your back no matter what. And the moment that you feel a sense of envy or jealousy, cut the person immediately. Wow. Don't wait. Your intuition is the sharpest tool that you're ever going to have. Listen to yourself. You know exactly what you're talking about. And you know when it's fear and you know when it's your intuition. Fear Mm. is something you need to lean into. When your intuition is telling you no, that's when you need to back away. Dang, that's beautiful. This podcast, Echale Podcast, not just about the Echale Ganas in Spanish, but the little translation is to put in something. So what would you like to leave this world oh. with? What would Rita like to, what legacy would like would Rita like to live? What is your paw print in this earth? I want to be remembered as a person who built something that lived way beyond them. Wow. Right. And, and while I was building it, I had fun. Wow. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's going to be the case. We're manifesting it. And Rita, I just want to, I've already told you publicly in other episodes. I've already said it in group meetings. I've said it in person, but thank you. You literally allowed so many podcasters like myself who just want to use their voice to share different stories and to be able to get paid for it and allowing me to hire my brother, hire my mother, hire my siblings and let them know that the possibility to just have fun and do what you love and get paid for it is out there. That is inspiring and leaving multiple paw prints. And it started with you, Rita. So thank you. Oh my God, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> I was get so emotional. Um, but thank you. I mean, I thank you very much and you're welcome. Um, it's been an honor and it's been a privilege to do this. And it's been fun. I've been enjoying it. So I've been enjoying it as well too. We're putting in the work, but it's definitely not an easy journey, but we're having fun along the way. Thank you so much, Rita. Where can people find you? You can follow me on Instagram at Yo Soy Rita Bautista. And you can also follow the podcast at Latina Podcasters or Latino Pods on Insta. And you can find the podcasts on Apple Podcasts under Latina Podcasters Network and Latino Pods. We have all of our podcasters there in one place. Just search the, the network name and all the podcasts show up. Well, you already heard it. Latina Podcasters Network, 
or Latino Pods on Spotify and make sure you follow Rita Bautista and Yo Soy Rita Bautista because I'm sure if you reach out, she will answer. Thank you so much, Rita. Thank you. Awesome. Let me...